I think fusion is associated with two cultures that feel very different from each other coming together and kind of doing a mashup, right? It's there's definitely a collaboration happening, but when it's happening within you over 20 years or your lifetime, it's not really like a let's just put these two pieces together, like more like this is all of who we are and it's coming out as maybe a contemporary modern language. Good morning. This is Epicenter NYC. We connect our communities to news, information, and each other. I'm Andrea Pineda Salgado. New York City based violinists Trina Bazu and Arun Ramamurthy met in 2007, and it was love at first sound. They've been collaborating ever since. Now they're married with two children. And in January of 2023, the pair released their debut album, Nakshatra. They say the album, which was made over the course of five years, conveys a feeling of two souls in conversation spanning hundreds of years into the past and future. Already, it's landed on Billboard's classical crossover albums chart and has received high praise from many publications, us included. In fact, we've been fans for a long time. Trina is actually behind our podcast intro music as a member of the band Karavika. Today, Epicenter founder and publisher S. Mitra Kalita speaks to Trina and Arun about their backgrounds in music, making it in New York City, and the new album. They'll also be joined by Epicenter co-founder and creative director Nitin Muckle. What's your story? Trina, should we start with you? Well, I play the violin, and I grew up in Miami, Florida. Um, started when I was five, six years old, was trained in Western classical music, and music was, you know, there with me my whole childhood. I was really like immersed in the Western classical genre, like world. That's what I, my training was in. But growing up in a multicultural home and in a very diverse city, I was exposed and around a lot of different styles of music and cultures and traveled to India to visit my family, my grandparents. So had a lot of different cultural influences in my life, but my training was in Western classical music. And when I arrived at college, I was studying music therapy, which was an incredible major. And I worked in music therapy for several years after that. But while I was in college is when I really had the urge to explore my own voice and find outlets for that. So that's when improvisation was like calling me. And I found a wonderful, two wonderful teachers, several wonderful teachers, but two who really had an impact on me at that time. And one of them was Nalini Vinayak, who was leading the Indian music ensemble. And she really kind of brought me into the world of um, Indian classical music when I was 18. And I also was studying jazz improvisation and with a wonderful trumpet player named Longinu Parsons. So that was my introduction to, okay, let's start exploring your own voice, being creative. And when I moved to New York, I started a group called Karavika with Amali Premawardhana, who's a wonderful cellist and um, have played with various different types of artists in New York since I moved here about 15 years ago. Arun, what's your story? I was born and raised in New Jersey. Uh, my parents were immigrants that came to this country from South India, from uh, Andhra Pradesh and from uh, Karnataka state in 1970. And they moved right to Queens, which was like little India, 
back in the day. They lived in Lefrac City, and they still hold many friends that they lived on the same hallway with uh, to this day. But they they settled in Queens for a good, you know, six, seven years before moving to New Jersey. And then I was born in 1980. And, you know, my mother's mother was a Carnatic teacher, and um, she also played violin. So that's sort of where the violin was introduced into my family. And my mother was a vocalist. So even in Queens, she was part of a lot of the events that were happening, the cultural events, Kanadakuta, she would sing for all the Bharatanatyam performances. So they kind of got their foot in the scene here in New York. But, you know, because I grew up in, in the States, there was an element of if I was going to learn violin, learn Western classical music, find a teacher, and then maybe, you know, we'll find a Carnatic teacher. When I was about eight years old, there was no Carnatic teacher that we knew of that lived around there. So I ended up starting Western classical music, played for two years. And then my father found uh, Anantha Krishnan. He's a wonderful violinist who lived in Edison. And it was kind of like really lucky to find a Carnatic teacher of his level that was willing to teach that lived so close. Uh, and I did both simultaneously, uh, Western classical and Carnatic music until, you know, I was about 18. Um, so I played in like the New Jersey State Youth Orchestra. I was playing kind of high level compositions and I was also starting to perform in Carnatic music. So I really feel like I got a taste of both. And at some point I chose to continue with Carnatic music. I was very much drawn to the improvisational aspects of it. And then really, you know, it's like, it's similar to Trina's experience of sort of finding improvisation, moving to New York. I also moved uh, to Brooklyn and started living here about 15 years ago. And that was a catalyst for me to really start exploring these other sides of my music. And I met a lot of really great musicians that, you know, really brought me out of my little bubble. And um, I met Trina. <laughs> So, I was going to ask when and how you guys met. Yeah, well, we met, I guess, in 2007. Seven. And it was around, it was a similar time. I feel like she was exploring things on her end. And I also was opening up on my end. And there is a group called Akshara, um, led by Bala Skandan, a Murdangist. And um, I had been playing in that for a, a short period of time, not very long. And, uh, you know, I was the only violinist in it. And Bala says, you know, I think we need to get a bigger sound from this group. So I'm going to bring another violinist in. So I, you know, went to the rehearsal at the Arch in Midtown. I don't know if anyone remembers the Arch. And uh, went up the stairs and I heard a violin already playing. She was already there. And we played together and it was, you know, my dad loves to joke that it was love at first sound. <laughs> um, which is essentially what it is. I feel like we had really great musical chemistry from day one. Mm -hmm. And I think that segues us to the album quite nicely, right? Because it is a mix of all of what you've just described. So tell us about the album. And then from the perspective you just shared of really blending and kind of owning who each of you are, what, what role does that play on this album? Yeah, well, the album is called Nakshatra, which means star or constellation um, in Sanskrit. 
And, you know, we kind of think about sort of the vastness of the universe, all the stars and how they're connected to us, how we're connected to them, how all of us on earth are connected to each other. Um, music and sound being something that is probably one of the easiest ways to connect to anyone that you don't know without speaking a word. So it, the music on the album is all songs that Trina and I wrote together over the last, you know, seven to eight years. A lot of it, yeah, we we consciously tried to bring our worlds together, musical worlds together. I think where we're at now is a little bit of letting some of those things go. The songs are kind of like frameworks and they have moments where we just kind of go off and we try to really let go in those moments and see where it's going to go and how it might get to from point A to point B to play with that and be free with that. So I think, you know, that's a little bit of the evolution of the music. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that you'll hear different elements of kind of the different genres that were, were kind of steeped in or inspired by. Um, there's a strong raga presence, although probably to a traditionalist, it would, it would be, I think, I think it will still be appreciated um, because we are respecting the tradition and trying to adhere to the, to what we feel is beautiful um, and we want to bring out in the tradition, but it's definitely coming from like a non-traditional perspective, a non-purist space, but it's a very strong presence on the album. I think that we also draw musically from some of the kind of folk traditions of the instrument itself, like the, the fiddle, the violin is very instrumental in these folk traditions all over the world. And it can play a role of rhythmic backup. It can play a role of chordal backup. It mm -hmm. can play a role of harmonies, can play in unison. Like we can do so many different things and we've discovered that along the way. What is possible um, with just two violins? Because it's we're both in the same range musically. We both play the same instrument. And while we do meet in the middle all the time, we are drawing from different perspectives. So we can kind of tap into those different elements and, and, and aspect of making music and composing. And it works really well. That's beautiful. I mean, some of the artists we talk to resist terms like fusion. Is there is there anything to that that represents annoyance to you or you've, you've yeah. kind of come into? I think fusion is associated with two cultures that feel very different from each other coming together and kind of doing a mashup, right? It's There's definitely a collaboration happening, but when it's happening within you over 20 years or your lifetime, it's not really like a, let's just put these two pieces together. Like you were saying, it's more like this is all of who we are and it's coming out as maybe a contemporary modern language, you know, or expression that is. Yeah. yeah. We certainly have challenges defining or labeling the music Yes, because we don't know exactly what it is. And personally, I wouldn't, I don't want to. Right. <laughs> it's music. It's, um, it's, it's something that we're, you know, we created and yeah, it, I think it's a hard hard task to actually try to label yeah and it's constantly changing and evolving and so just like as we all are and that's what's beautiful about improvised music um, is that it's always spontaneous it's always moving with the times we love traditional music and traditional sounds and I think that you'll hear you'll get that sense on the album like you'll hear moments in the music that might take you to different 
places in the world, you know, or reminisce about different landscapes, visuals, but that is us kind of trying to be just as authentic as we can and drawing from the spirit of a lot of these traditions that we've studied and are inspired by. But yeah, like trying to get away from just trying to be ourselves. I guess that's hard to explain in words. I think you're doing a great job of actually articulating the, the challenge that some of the artists we've talked to about this very issue also talk about kind of the evolution of their work, but also of themselves, right? And so that's um, that's an important aspect of it. I had promised when we started out that that we would talk a little bit about making it as an artist in New York City. So a uh, part of Epicenter's founding was this, desire to support artists. Um, we have an artist feature every week. And on this podcast, we actually started out interviewing performers in like the height of the pandemic who really had no livelihood, right? And so um, what's been kind of magical through the course of the two years that we've been in existence is this journey that artists have gone through, which was you know pretty dire, and then kind of a tiptoeing back and now kind of a confluence of a desire to be diversify Broadway or certain spaces in New York City. And many of the artists who we've been interviewing all along have taken off. I mean, I would say it's like part of our taste making, but I also think there's a lot of factors right now. So I just wondered if you could talk a little bit about what it's been like to commit to your artistry in uh, one of the most expensive cities in the world and um, how you've made it. Do you feel like you've made it? So the question of, do we feel like we've made it? Or maybe I could I could speak for myself. I mean, maybe. I think I've made it to the point where I can pursue my dream to be an artist and a musician and uh, and that's all I have to do and I can survive. Yeah, so I, in that sense, yes, I, I suppose I've made it. And it was, you know, I used to work a, a desk job, a nine to five. I used to do quality assurance for a soft for software testing, basically. And I did music on the side. Uh, it was always kind of a central passion, of course, of me. But um, it wasn't a career when I was younger. And I never didn't necessarily think of it as a full time career for myself. I don't think I was at the place where I could do that. So simultaneously, as I was working a day job, I continued to pursue all my musical interests and kind of built up my calendar in that sense. And it's also about like building up your pay scale. You you know, as a, we're all individual contractors, small business owners, if you will, and we set our prices and your prices only grow, but you can't ask for $5,000 a gig or something in the beginning. You have to work your way towards certain things and that takes time. And while I was working, I was still gigging and I think I was building that side of things. And it got to the point where I was like, okay, I think I can make a living as a musician. There's enough work for me. For me personally, I feel like I lived in a very niche world where there were not too many people doing what I do so that there was a space for me to carve out and sit in and try to grow there. Um, so I did feel I had opportunities. You know, I think it was around the time that our oldest son was born right before he was born that I ended up making the decision to go fully into music. And, you know, you ask yourself, what's going to make you happy? What's going to make you a better person in the world? And in order to be the best I could be, I had to be doing something I love and maybe not spending so much time doing something I did not love, which was um, maybe working a desk job. 
So it made a lot of sense for me, actually. And that was a moment of clarity, which some people may think is crazy to make that decision at that time in your life. Uh, but to me, made perfect sense. It served you well. Yes, it's, it's served me incredibly well. It's the best decision I think I ever made outside of marrying her. And she was a, you know, a very big part of why I made that decision as well, because she was also moved, and you can talk about your story, but came from Miami, was away from her family, was just grinding it out as a musician in New York and teaching. So then I'm like, okay, well, you know, people are doing this, right? They're, they're, they're hustling and they're working hard and they're just following that dream. So we shared stories, we shared goals and different things. And um, here we are. There's, yeah, there's no roadmap for the field. So having people around you to kind of share their experience and you get to watch how they do things is helpful. As a musician, you are a business, you're running your own business, but we don't learn, unfortunately, those things in school, how much to charge for a gig, when to say no, you know, how to market yourself. Like we don't learn any of that in school, but in terms of just learning the grind, like the ins and outs of the business of music and making your own career and living through the arts is something that is a very long journey. It's maybe longer for some of us than others, <laughs> depending on how good you are at that kind of thing. So I think that would be a great thing for musicians to have access, more access to is some sort of training or education and, and how to, how to work the business side of all of it. Is there a moment for either of you where like a struggle switch was turned off? Right, where it went from that hustle and that cobbling it together to acceptance of this will be okay or this is enough. Uh, we think we're going to be okay now. Like, is, and, and I ask because a lot of folks that we work with are waiting for that moment. I have that moment every couple months and then the switch turns again <laughs> because we have like a spell of like two months where yeah. it's like, okay, you didn't have too much work. So the switch goes the other way. Um, no. No, I don't feel that because I feel like it's, I mean, maybe, maybe I'm not that interested in money. Maybe that's the problem. <laughs> I'm just, you know, I think if you're, I am interested in, in being very stable yeah. and having what I need. I think it's all perspective. Like it depends on the person, you know, like what do you need and want in your life? I think we have enough and I think we're still in the hustle and we're still struggling. And I, I don't know if that's ever going to go away because as a musician, you're always kind of working. You know? I think you, you get to stop. a point maybe of accepting the hustle and being more comfortable with what the hustle is and the amount of work you might have to put into it, what it means. I think you just get more comfortable with that. Yeah. Yeah. So we're doing a first, which is a husband and wife interviewing a husband and wife. So Nathan Hi. is joining me. And I asked him if he could kind of guide us a little bit on questions about the album, which I believe it's charted on the billboard. Yeah, it, it landed on the, um, what is it? The classical crossover chart on billboard. Number seven. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. I know we were surprised about it. We're like, oh, okay. Somebody wrote us from billboard and was like, your album's charted and we need this information from you, blah, blah, yeah. blah. We're like, okay. That was very exciting. Yeah. <laughs> so now you've made it. <laughs> And then on the album, you, I don't know if you'd call it fusion or if some songs are kind of like strictly within like an Indian classical mode and other ones are based on Western structures and theory, or is, are there songs that also just combine both into the same composition? I think both. Well, there's one song that's a very traditional Carnatic composition, which we 
do treat very traditionally. Shrikamalambike, the one that Nathan made the beautiful work to. So that's the traditional kind of piece on the on the album. And then there is another traditional film song, Patar Panchali, which we call Little Road Song by Ravi Shankar. And that's from the film. And that was yeah, yeah an, an adaptation from my group with Amali Premawardhana. But then the other pieces are all of our original compositions, and those really do kind of blend our different voices, our commonalities. We're coming from different angles, but we have a lot of common shared maybe perspectives or things that we can that we can meet up on. We may have very different perspectives on them, but we we meet up we meet up somewhere and we can kind of create these pieces. So I don't know. It's yeah, it's hard to say. We could probably break down different pieces and say, well, that's more, you know, raga yeah. based. And, <laughs> and, you know, to actually do that for a moment is like a song like Tempest. I think we started from this place of using this raga called Gauri Manohari. But I would say that I'm not even really hearing Gauri Manohari. I'm not really even thinking about that. And I might be using the mode and the notes, but like my approach to it is not the way I learned it from my Carnatic teachers or the way I might play it on a stage if I was playing with a Carnatic vocalist. It's coming from that place of Carnatic ragas. Right. But then from a traditionalist point of view, you're not necessarily speaking the grammar or the, yeah. or the proper phrases that would maybe define that raga in its essence as what it is. So it's kind of finding a new essence, yeah, a new perspective on it. Yeah. And you noticed on Tempest, actually, that there's something about that song that felt like a little edgy to me and maybe it's the name of it too because that's like a storm right but um but to me there was elements of it that felt a little like some of the modern classical stuff that i enjoy which is more experimental i don't know if you guys felt that as well but also you know yeah. it's interesting that you said that you worked on this record two years earlier because i was also wondering if the pandemic actually helped shape the ideas around it in any way or if you think that it transformed the pieces that you put together pre-pandemic that ended up being on the record as they are now. Definitely. We actually made the record during the pandemic. And prior to that, we had been working on this music for like seven years. And it was essentially ready to record. But I think the pandemic like pushed us to make it happen. It gave us yeah. a sense of urgency. Well, different, I mean, Tempest, we had written yeah. seven years ago, but then there were other songs had come over the years, we kept right. developing new music. And, and actually what was interesting about the pandemic was we were all locked in our homes and didn't have anywhere to go and couldn't play with anyone, but we played together. And um, the music started with me and Trina playing it as two violins and then sort of expanded to all these other instrumentations. But at the core of it, during the pandemic, we realized that the two of us as the center was powerful enough. I th I'm thrilled that we did that now. You know, looking back, it was a blessing in disguise that it worked out this way. 
um, because, yeah, I just feel like even now our growth together, playing together, understanding how to play together and grow from there, it's it just makes you know any instrumentation um, that we get to later on maybe have more like of a solid foundation. base and a solid yeah. foundation. Yeah, and we did write one song during the pandemic. Pandemic started March 2020, right? So March 2020, and then that summer of 2020, we were in Brooklyn, and it was like the height of the pandemic, but also the height of the Black Lives Matters. It was a it, there was a lot of energy in in New York City. George Floyd, you know, that had happened in May, the end of May, and then following his death, so many other stories surfaced uh, about other people who had lost their lives. You know, it was a really tough time, I think, for everybody, but it was also a moment that I felt so united with everybody around me, especially in our community here in Brooklyn, because everybody stood up and used their voice to, like, say something, and that was super powerful. And I remember the children were also observing and absorbing. Our mm -hmm. oldest was, was seven at that time, and a point in his life where he kind of could understand some of the things happening. He could read and look and watch the posters and, and just follow a little bit of what was going on. So it was an intense time as parents and to have some of these conversations. But that being said, we well, we learned that Elijah McClain had lost his life. He was 19 years old and he was in Denver, Colorado, and he had lost his life so tragically. And he was a violinist. And so at that time, there were violin vigils happening throughout the, the country um, in his memory, that was all just really inspiring. So we wanted to write a song on our violins for him, and we did, and we called it For Elijah. We've actually changed the name to Healer, but that's on the record as well. So that definitely came out of that time.
You can listen to and purchase Nakshatra on Bandcamp by clicking the link in our show notes. You can also hear Trina perform live in upcoming performances of Town, a Broadway show where musicians will join actors on stage. If you love New York City's music scene as much as we do, make sure to show your support. Head to shows, buy their albums, and share their music wherever you go. For more ways to get involved in your community, visit us at epicenter-nyc.com. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. And thanks for supporting us as we do our best to support our community. We couldn't do it without you. And if you're not already a member, sign up today by using the link in our show notes. Our intro music is All the Pretty Horses by Kravika. You can find more of their music on their website linked to in our podcast description.